0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified, Travel Edition. I'm your host, Mark Liberty, and joining me today is...
1: Corey Flimflam bing bang knockreiner. What? We'll <laughs> oh, find okay. out, bing bang. <laughs> It'll come up later.
0: There we go. As Cory hinted at on today's episode, we'll be discussing a vulnerability involving Bing, uh, as well as a recent supply chain attack targeting a pretty popular VoIP company. Uh, and man, what was the, the last topic on that one?
1: That's right, a uh, 802.11 Wi-Fi industry protocol issue. Exactly, that super might exciting allow stuff. people to see your traffic and inject.
0: Scary sounding, but we'll get into it in a bit more in just a second. With that, let's go ahead and roll on in Wi-Fi. Our way? now. What would that be? Sleep on in. Sleep on, sleep on in. in. That, that sounds good. As power saving. I'm also mm-hmm. very tired. That sounds great Me too. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the travel edition.
0: So uh, let's start today with the first news story, which is a bit of an update from something that's been kind of ongoing for about, well, at least a week or so in the news. But But not an update for us, right? This is our first time talking about it. I guess on the podcast, yeah. If you are a a reader of Secplicity, you've already seen one post on this. Uh, But last week, the enterprise phone company 3CX confirmed that they had become the latest victim of a software supply chain attack that ultimately resulted in malware being delivered to potentially thousands of customers. But we'll actually get into uh, an update from just today that seems to make it even a little more targeted than it first looked at at first thought. Um, So this saga actually began a couple of weeks ago uh, when users on 3CX's forum started reporting anti-malware detections for both Windows and Mac from the likes of Sentinel One and uh, other anti-malware engines basically saying, hey, it's flagging this as malware.
1: Do something. Yep, exactly. By the way, if we pause right there before the forum, 3CX is basically like a VoIP phone company, yep. right? I, I never heard of them, but they they have a Mac and Windows desktop app for their VoIP, which is what these guys were talking about on the forum. Right? Yeah, like a,
0: a soft phone, basically. Yep. You know, typical Mitel kind of thing where you can dial in from your, your desktop instead of having that physical thing on your desk that is currently unplugged on mine. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you have
1: little computers. We don't use phones anymore.
0: My secret is even when we were in the office, my phone was physically unplugged for I think at least the last two years before <laughs> the pandemic. People knew to call my cell phone if they needed me. That desk phone was useless. But anyways, uh, so unfortunately, some 3CX support reps initially waived it all as like false positives, which is somewhat understandable. Like yeah. from a security company, like I mean, I don't know about you when you worked in support, but when I worked in support,
1: I mean, we tend to have false positives occasionally yeah. for software If there's operations. a legit company, you know, you might assume that. By the way, one bad thing that security companies do, I think we'll talk about a positive for ours later, is when, like, if you have legitimate software and it's digitally signed and it looks like it comes from the right place, you would probably assume a false positive at first. You wouldn't assume someone's been hacked and
0: exactly yeah. uh, and as we'll get into it both of the malicious files that were a part of this supply chain attack were legitimately signed to one degree or another um so the incident since been attributed to lazarus group which is our favorite friends from north korea Oh, north korea uh we've talked about them quite a few times typically responsible for like cryptocurrency heists or ransomware extortions wanna cry, wanna cry like allegedly. Allegedly. all sorts of fun stuff Allegedly, okay, I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah, you really even have to say, alleged. Okay. us <laughs> um
0: so the infection started with a, a malicious update to their desktop soft phone applications, both Windows and Mac. Um, these applications, they run on something called Electron. It's basically like Chromium, the web browser uh, that lets you build a website as a application. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of neat, very powerful. But along with it, you can bundle other libraries to use within like, native Windows or native Mac OS. Um, And in this particular infection, there were two malicious libraries that were included with the infection. Um, So on the Windows one, at least, uh, one of them was a library that was a legitimately signed Microsoft DLL um, that the attackers had modified to include an encrypted malware payload. And you might think, so if it's legitimately signed by Microsoft, how did they modify it? Because that should affect the cryptographic signature, which should no longer be valid. Uh, Turns out, it actually goes after a 10 year old vulnerability in Windows that oh, is wow. an opt-in fix. <laughs> uh, basically, at a super high level with cryptographic signatures, you're basically you're taking a hash of data and then cryptographically signing it with a key to prove that you are the owner or author of that data. Uh, so it turns out that signature isn't for it doesn't sign everything in the executable. Uh, You can actually modify uh, parts of the EXE's authentic code section and add additional data in there that is outside of the part that is signed. Ah. And so this opt-in fix is to also validate that as a part of the signature. Um, But it's opt-in because it actually breaks some stuff, Uh, Hmm. Chrome actually being one of them for a while, where if you check that like opt-in to sharing all of your information with Google checkbox when you install Chrome, it actually, technically modifies the. It would modify the signature of the file if you had opted into this. Yeah, it might cause some alerts throwing off. But anyways, in this case, it was a legitimate library that they had modified to have encrypted malicious code inside. Then there was a second library, uh, which was a oh, malicious no. copy of FFmpeg, yeah. a really popular open source video encoding
1: compressor. Uh, yeah, compressor.
0: Um, and in this one though, so originally if we back up a little bit to like the announcement of you know this attack uh, that it affected 3cx they pointed at ffmpeg as the like the source potential source yeah which if you just take that on face value you know that makes sense because we see like third-party libraries
1: being like an avenue into software happened with some python libraries i think we've talked about before
0: but ffmpeg actually came out and said uh, actually our repo is fine Uh, so (laughs) the infection occurred somewhere after. 3CX, downloaded the source code, and then compiled it locally within their own build environment. Uh, So that malicious copy of FFmpeg, uh, its whole job was to go in and pull out and decrypt that malicious code from the other Windows library and execute it. That was basically just a shellcode loader. It would then go up to a hard-coded GitHub address and pull down .ico files, so what should be just a small image But tacked onto them, they had base 64 data that ultimately basic
1: encoding to obfuscate things a little, but
0: ultimately had to go download additional files, which ended up being information stealers for uh, most of the part. Um, So uh, now this was at the time, it seemed like, okay, you know, Lazarus is just throwing out a bunch of info stealer Trojans and stuff, which, whatever, maybe it's for espionage. North Korea isn't beyond that. Uh, The latest update I saw today, though was they appeared to target a specific class of organization with actually a secondary payload huh. uh, another type of backdoor it was So this via- is
1: a typical way to target where they might I think they did it with sea cleaner too I sometimes say C- C Cleaner," but it really is just C Cleaner." ATM machine. Yeah, Got where it. they, I mean, I think 3 million people downloaded it, mm. but they were checking the, you know, the the malware, which was in the installer for 3 million people, actually looked at aspects of the computer and mm-hmm. only called to get the real payload if you were one of the more targeted people. They weren't trying to get millions of people that were using C Cleaner. Same probably with uh, the SolarWinds one, but yep. they were trying, they knew customers of that uh, product and in this case it sounds like they might know customers of this product that they're looking for
0: exactly so the ultimate payload that they installed on this select group of customers that i'll get to in a second uh, was the goparam backdoor which is basically just a typical backdoor trojan yeah uh, you'll never guess what the category of organization is that they went after though
1: Healthcare or cryptocurrency?
0: Cryptocurrency companies. (laughs) So there was a non-zero number of cryptocurrency
1: companies that were specifically targeted with this secondary backdoor payload. I guess cryptocurrencies use 3CX. Exactly. Soft phones.
0: Which... uh, really raises the, the level of certainty of this is Lazarus North Korea, Korea, from like yeah. medium to
1: ultra high at this yeah. point. This is very much their modus so operandi. I think Sentinel One Crowd, there's like three different companies that were researching this at once. Yeah. And they all seem to share that it was TTPs. They exactly. still say allegedly, because they don't want to get in legal trouble. Like some of the we TTPs
0: know. were, like there was a piece of the shellcode loader that was like bite for bite, a copy of previous Lazarus, Lazarus activity. So, I mean, while that doesn't stop someone from going and stealing it and reusing it, the reality is it's pretty decently high certainty that it was Lazarus. Uh, so, all things considered, 3CX, they pushed out an update. They also pointed their customers towards a, a browser-based version of the soft phone client. Yeah. So it turns out it can run entirely in your web
1: browser. So like the CTO said, I don't even know why we do the the normal download. You all should be using the browser yep. version anyways, although that seems like. A... <laughs> that would have been nice to know before, but, Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: it happens though. Like It's tough to throw stones in glass houses because oh, yeah. it could literally happen to any organization. This seems to be a fairly
1: targeted I would attack. those source code servers. I mean, yes, any organization could have its sophisticated actors, even if they didn't get to the source code because it could have pivoted their way in with even someone that takes security seriously. But it it is pretty scary <laughs> and a big deal when they get that far into your company that they control your legitimate packaging.
0: Yep, if you are a WatchGuard customer with at least endpoint protection, uh, EPDR would have protected this from day zero with both the heuristics rules dns watch has some domains
1: in fact we've i think we've contacted customers who we've seen reaching out to get this malicious uh download in a certain period exactly yep
0: um so like there are protections out there obviously other anti-malware engines were alerting off of it weeks in advance of the cat getting (laughs) let out. wasn't a false positive correct into the forum earlier and man this is it's just another like Another example of a supply chain attack that could be used against very specific targeted organizations, but also potentially
1: wide ranging yeah. ramifications too. And very much like a, a, a the deepest supply chain attack. Sometimes I loosely use supply chain attack for when a third party company introduces software vulnerabilities into your organization. It's tech mm-hmm. being a supply chain attack. But really, this is the most supply chain when the actual victim organization's own software has been booby-trapped. Exactly. So. This is like, basically, it feels like um, SolarWinds 2.0. For, for sure. People. Or CCleaner 3.0. Yeah. Or man, okay. name the others. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so if you are a 3CX customer, make sure that you have upgraded or started using the other application. Yeah. Probably time to do some data He downloaded forensics. it in the
1: past three weeks. Yeah. There's uh,
0: IOCs on our Cyclicity posts that you can look into in your logs to make sure that you weren't a potential victim of it if you are a customer as well. Um, and if you were, time to start doing incident response, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so moving on. Uh, also last week, uh, several university researchers put out a new white paper titled Framing frames, bypassing Wi-Fi encryption by manipulating transit queues.
1: Finally, a Wi-Fi industry hack. I what, what? It was like three years ago, when one of our predictions was. Uh, what was it? Was it? it I think it was the was hot it WPA3, it, I, three, I think it just started. And yeah, then, and and it had some sort of hotspot, some ability to downgrade or, or the carrier could force it to go to mm-hmm. Wi-Fi networks if they were nearby instead of LTE using something in W3. And anyways, we said that there would be maybe some new Wi-Fi attack and it would be based on the new WPA3 3 yeah. standard. So I'm not sure if this covers it, but... Is this something, Mark? Can you tell me more about it? It's unfortunately still a miss. And and
0: in fact, some of the WPA3 specific security protections, like uh, protected management frames, PMFs, actually protect against some of this uh, activity. Not all of it, as we'll get into. Uh, But this is a protocol vulnerability. So it's not an implementation vulnerability. Industry-wide. Although the implementation is a very high factor in how exploitable it is. We'll get to that in a second but it's actually a vulnerability in the protocol itself like how they define how to do wireless yeah a specific so part of the 80211 <laughs> standard sleep which i'm sure yeah. that everyone here has read the entirety of yeah, the 80211 yeah. standard <laughs> for wireless uh standards whatever uh so also a proof of concept has been released too by the same researchers they call it max stealer so you've probably heard that name floating around if you read the infosec news Uh, But the vulnerability, it's all about a power saving feature in 802.11 that allows an access point, so your wireless access point, to buffer transmit frames. So uh, messages it's going to send to a wireless client, it can buffer them if that client tells it that it's going to go to sleep for a little bit. Basically, your wireless radio and your laptop and your phone and your watch and everything, it's all, it's actually pretty power hungry to run constantly. Yeah. And so a wireless client has the option of sending a specific frame to the access point with a bit set that basically
1: says, I'm going to sleep. Leave me alone for a bit.
0: And when the wireless access point gets a message from that client with that bit set, it goes, Okay, it's sleeping. I'll buffer all of the messages I was going to send to it until that client sends another message hey, saying, I'm awake. And then the access point will send all the messages. Okay. Um, so sounds like a great idea. You know, it allows you to not just have application pa- packet loss. If it were yeah. to just drop the messages, it can queue them
1: up on the access points. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great idea as mm-hmm. long as you keep those buffered frames encrypted, which I'm sure they did, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that is not the case, <laughs> and all of these buffered frames are actually typically stored unencrypted, and then it figures out the wireless encryption when it's ready to send. When it wakes up, I assume
1: it has to re. And unfortunately,
0: uh, in some cases. But unfortunately, like it, this is not well defined in the standard, and so depending on the access point you have, it could potentially handle it a little bit differently, and in some cases result in sending out packets in a way that a adversary somewhere on the network uh, could have visibility into them, and injection capability. Exactly. So basically, what they found is uh, an attacker can hop on a wireless network and then spoof the MAC address of another client. So pretty traditional. It's server is side,
1: this so you have to pretend to be the AP. That's uh, in this case, saying, you or? pretend
0: to be the client. Okay. And as the client, you send a spoofed, I'm going to sleep message to the access okay. point. So that particular message is not protected by the new WPA3 standards
1: pause there would would mac mac filtering i guess smart attackers could change their mac but since you have to spoof a client if so, you have any mac based protections on your ap that says you know corey's machine that someone's trying to spoof is this mac address only that that mac address join
0: well, the issue is it's targeting your laptop itself. So it's like, I'm the bad guy. You're sitting there connected to the network. I guess the initial high lift. So they must be doing Mac. Spoofing. I have to know your Mac address. So like they be have be sniffing to the wireless it. traffic or whatever, yeah, okay. and I say, all right, I'm going to target that guy. So I spoof my Mac address to look like yours. So they are using Mac. Spoofing. Send a sleep message and the access point goes, OK, I'll start buffering those messages. Yep. Then the they found that if the attacker is able to uh, trick the access point into like rekeying or restarting the association with that client or some other uh, implementation-specific opportunities, they can potentially then send a wake-up frame. Hmm. And when the access point sends all the messages, it will send them under this new security association context. So it gets a little bit technical. uh, But basically, at a high level, uh, the attacker will trick the access point into thinking the victim is sleeping. Uh, then they go in and try and change the security association. So they found that if you send like a, uh, I forgot the exact message, but like security associ- association rekey or something, yeah, the access point will start, either it'll delete the key and start a new association. Maybe it'll let the attacker spoof client just completely create a new association so they know all the keys. Yeah. In some cases, it deletes the uh, the pairwise key and starts using the group key, so one that everyone on the network has access oh, to. Wow. And in some access points, it just deletes it entirely and no longer encrypts the messages. And then when the attacker tells the access point it's awake now, pretending to be the client, uh, the access point will send those buffered messages, either using the key that they now negotiated with the attacker Using the group key, which the attacker can get access to. I assume
1: you'd like if you use the key, negotiate with the attacker. The attacker's now taken over the connection, but it won't be able to actually see that one. Cl- that that client wouldn't be able to connect anymore. To the victim, because it's a new key. They would have to reconnect themselves, which yeah.
0: should, in theory, work. Um, but would
1: it kick the attacker off or would the AP just rekey using the key the attacker has? You know, I, I
0: have to imagine it depends on the access point yeah. and how it
1: handles that. Like, but with the group key or, or no key at all, the attacker and I, both the victim and the attacker will exactly. see all the
0: traffic. So like the big caveat in this, like in practice, they found that removing the or renegotiating that pairwise key, the client to server one, is very device dependent. Um, They found that in some access points, it will drop the key if it receives a new association request from the client. Uh, In other cases, the wake up message is enough to cause the key to be removed. So they don't have to do anything extra. They just tell it to sleep, tell it to wake up, and it'll drop the key on that wake up and just send everything unencrypted. Lovely. Exactly.
1: The job is done as an attacker.
0: Uh, So they described like one attack scenario. So picture I'm trying to target you and like I know you're connecting to your bank account or something. And so i wait until you send the request to get your i don't know to get your bank account password i don't know to get something sensitive out of an online account then after you've sent that request from your client i then go tell the access point you're asleep i then take over your security association then i tell the access point you're awake it sends the reply from the server and now i as the attacker would have visibility into that packet now that said this also requires uh there to be no application or transport layer encryption on that
1: activity. No too. SSL TLS to your bank So if you're site, using HTTPS, yeah. you're fine. Yeah. So
0: it's really a target. An against,
1: SSL strip that we used to demo all the time does not work on modern devices. So no, Use tough. HTTPS. More importantly, if you're on Wi-Fi, you don't control. Use VPN on top of it.
0: Exactly. So if you're if your communications are protected with transport layer encryption, you're in theory fine from this. Like. I guess if you're using Telnet to go hop into a system, like you could be That's vulnerable Yeah, Yeah, It's also a very opportunistic What site
1: account? isn't? I mean, even non-bank sites. I think Google says it's like 99.98% like yeah, encrypted. encrypted these days. So there's not much you can inject. I mean, even to inject, you'd need someone to be going to a, a clear text site yep. to inject something.
0: So in very specific opportunistic cases, an attacker in the perfect setup and a basically controlled environment could potentially view unencrypted wireless packets um, sent back to a recipient can't view the ones sent from it, but it could read those replies. They did, though, propose a denial of service vulnerability in the Hmm. same kind of context, too, because if you remember that message telling it, you're going to sleep, tells the access point to stop sending or transmitting frames back to the client. And so as an attacker, if I sit there and just keep spoofing, I'm asleep, you could, in theory, do a denial of service against the client. And that is not protected by the protected management frames from WPA3. Uh, One of the other, like, Demos or hacking techniques we see is sending deauth packets as a denial of service attack. Yeah. That is protected with WPA3, protective management frames. Uh, so this is a way to kind of circumvent that on newer networks as well, too. So at least that is a bit more of a practical attack than yeah. this potential ar- uh, injector. Listen. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, that, that said, it all is contingent on that trans- like the actual application that you are... Receiving still worth pack, patching included.
1: your APs. The Cisco, I think they tested Cisco, D-Link, and a few others are known vulnerable. Yep. By yeah. the way, what about us? I mean, we have an access point. I I, I know we've started a a query for this, but uh, I don't
0: currently that. investigating. My gut yeah. tells me we're technically vulnerable, but the reality is still it's, it's going to be low. It's opportunistic, and it's yeah. not as serious of. It's a cool vulnerability, but it's not like a oh my god
1: heartbleed style yeah, yeah. vulnerability. And by the way, of course, we'll have an update somewhere, whether it's Pinsert or whatever, when we do know more about our product.
0: And we'll hear more from the researchers after Black Hat Asia, which I think is next month, when they're presenting their white paper. And I'm assuming some demos on this too.
1: So it'll be interesting to see the demo. I think a lot of the security folks, like you said, feel like it's a, a cool flaw from a research perspective but pretty low impact severity but it'll be interesting to see if any demos change people's minds yeah
0: exactly so we will, we will see um so now moving on finally to the third story uh the cloud security vendor Wiz Wise Wiz
1: there's no Wiz is how i would say it i'd there's say no Wiz was... e. I'd say but, Wiz but Wise it i can see kind of nasty tone <laughs> WHIZ.IO. Yes, exactly. I, maybe it is a funky way to be wise, but there is no EEL.
0: Correct. So Wiz published an article last week describing a developer mistake that could have allowed them to take over Bing search results. I love the name, Bing Bang. They called it Bing Bang, <laughs> uh, which it's fun to say that over and over and over, of course.
1: By the way, right away, take over search results that's a bit yeah. like you think this is a big nasty huge issue i guess it is but it seems like such a little simple issue and bam i can literally make people go to my site first on any search result is the the t- pretty big impact if you think about if i'm a bad guy i know popular search terms and i can get bing to always respond with me as number one mm-hmm. That that's a lot of power. Man. And
0: as you'll see, like they use Bing
1: as the example here,
0: but it's actually a wider ranging issue in yeah. Azure in general. Uh, so they found uh, it, it's based off a common Azure Active Directory misconfiguration
1: uh, for uh, applications that developers deploy. Don't misconfigure. Azure cloud stuff, all, all IT guys know, understand, totally understand the new cloud capabilities of AWS and Azure. They're never misconfiguring things, Mark. Uh, so.
0: As you will see, that is very wrong. <laughs> uh,
1: so she basically, the
0: <laughs> they found uh, several Microsoft applications are vulnerable to the attack, one of which uh, was the management system that powers Bing.com, or at least one of them. Uh, so basically, Active Directory, Azure Active Directory, has several different types of access for an application. It can either be single tenant, so people within your organization can log in and access this app. It can be multi-tenant, so shared between different ones, uh, or personal accounts, so yeah. like my Gmail account, or any combination of those latter two. And with a multi-tenant application, it technically allows logins from any user on any Azure tenant and it's up to the developer to check that user's tenant and provision access accordingly and if they don't it means that any user in azure can log into that app and unfortunately this is not a very clear security weakness boundary configuration whatever nothing documented for or developers told to the
1: developers who were making apps so
0: whiz wise where... was whatever <laughs> uh, found that 25 percent of multi-tenant applications that they scanned allowed access from any Azure user into them. Uh, One of those was a Microsoft app called Bing Trivia. (laughs) Uh, And so in the app, they found access to a content management system, a CMS for Bing. Uh, So they went through, and as curious security researchers that are kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit, uh, they wanted to confirm that the CMS was controlling Bing's live search results. So they chose the keyword best soundtracks, uh as a search query and changed the first result which was Dune the 2021 movie good soundtrack pretty good soundtrack they changed it to Hackers the 1995 movies. <laughs> Great movie for our industry. Slightly worse soundtrack. <laughs> yes. And they found that that immediately appeared in
1: Bing at the very top if you want to go search for best soundtracks. That was, that, that was a little risky already for like a, a pen test that you assume they haven't asked for permission to do yet from Microsoft. And this was technically out of scope for Microsoft's bug bounty program too yeah. which we'll get
0: into in a second. So they're very much on a gray area right here. Yeah, they uh, they didn't grayer, stop there either though. Yeah. Uh, they also went to see if they could inject Java script,
1: which they ultimately found they could cross-site scripting. attack. So in
0: theory, they could have stolen uh, a authenticated user's authentication session token out of there. So basically compromised any Bing user that went to Bing to search for something. Uh, They reported this, at least the Microsoft instance of the flaws to Microsoft. Um, They resolved them, gave them like a $40,000 bug bounty, which they donated to charity because they're kind people. Um, But that still, there's 25% of all Azure apps out there in multi tenant mode are vulnerable to this style of attack. Uh, so, their mitigation recommendations. First off, if your app doesn't require multi tenancy, turn it off, switch it to single tenant. If you do need to grant extra access, use conditional access policies uh, to restrict who is actually allowed to access the application based off of things like the actual tenant they're coming from. Uh, i don't know where they're coming from in the world you can conditional access policies and those are pretty robust but i i I do like the name bing bang yeah bing bang from a research perspective it really does feel like they went a bit over a a gray line in this one like i personally would have not felt comfortable modifying temporarily
1: modifying a search result for two minutes i would say passable but actually exploiting the cross-site scripting (laughs) is a little more i mean they still did a poc exploit you know i'm sure they but that's you're playing with fire yeah good thing microsoft trustworthy computing is all about fixing flaws but yeah i'd say if you'd done this 15 years
0: ago. On on the other hand, I mean,
1: let's be devil's advocate. I'm glad this was a lot of power. Imagine a nation state being able to make, you know, the top five search results for popular things, anything they want and silently injecting JavaScript that grabs all your session cookies and your logins because that's what... That cross-site scripting could do for any people that clicked on that search link to go through it. Yeah. So a big deal, and if they weren't able to test, they wouldn't be able to report. So, I guess I, I, I'm happy that Microsoft gave some leeway and paid out, and isn't taking them to jail or anything. That's true. But I mean, 15 years ago, Microsoft they would be in prison. Probably
0: very much different company back then.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah,
0: Bing Bang, good find. If you yeah. are a developer of so it's apps, like something Trump app would say, Bing Bang, Bing Bang. Uh, I don't know. It feels like something out of Arrested Development. Yeah. I'm young. <laughs> uh, if you are a developer of apps on reserve, maybe go check and see what your uh, your access settings are for those applications. Yep. Make sure you aren't one of those twenty five percenters. But don't use Bing and search either. Hey, I don't <laughs> know the AI implementation. the, AI, the is Chat GPT cool. first?
1: Yeah, with all the hallucinations on top of it. Man, yeah. What a what a time to be alive. <laughs>
0: Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey's at SACADEPT, and the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Peace out, y'all. Mic drop.